Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. Show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Roots 1977 and 2016 versions. Discussing Roots 1977, Episode 4, creatively titled Part 4. Uh, yet another phenomenal episode of this phenomenal series. Uh, so this takes place four years after the events of Episode 3. Uh, Kunta's walking again, albeit with a massive limp, he's moving around fairly well, despite having his foot literally cut off. And everything's about as good as it can be, which is to say, not entirely unbearable. Like, usually, quality of life in this show is like a negative 5 out of 10, At this stage, it's more of, like, a negative two. Like, he's still owned by another person, and therefore doesn't have a life of his own, is someone else's property, and is completely dehumanized. But, I mean, at least he's not getting whipped. At least he's not getting his foot cut off. So, that's... Something? And see, you know, that is the danger... Of the, like, relatively good slave owner misconception. Uh, that this show will get into more later on. So I'm gonna leave it at... Uh, I'm gonna leave that talk at a minimum here. Uh, but... Like, sort of the myth of the good slave owner. Of just like, oh, well, he doesn't whip me. He doesn't brutalize me. So that has to be something. But really, like... He's still a person who owns other people. So he's still a piece of shit. He's just not as blatant a piece of shit. Like, it's just... We'll we'll get into that more in future episodes. We'll get into that more later on. But, man. That is something. That is a dangerous precedent to set. And uh, we're definitely feeling that with this particular master, this particular, uh, this second Reynolds. But anyway, we start off with this opening sequence, and I want to get into this a little bit, uh, because literally this opening sequence features a, uh, a woman who is having a romantic relationship with a much older black man, uh, with a much older slave, 
And this female slave is having some difficulties uh, with the master. Uh, I guess, like, there's optimal breeding requirements, which is, oh, just saying it disgusts me. I need to take a shower just thinking about that whole idea. Like, as if they're freaking horses or something. And they're under a lot of scrutiny for even thinking of this particular parent. So, what this woman does is she goes to Kunta, seduces him, makes sure she gets caught with him. So the overseer is like, "Yeah, this is nothing to worry about. I'm I'm satisfied now. I'm going to uh go literally anywhere else." And then the woman and the older man run away to be free. I mean, look, as disgusting as disgusting as it is that she even had to do something like this, not going to lie, kind of a brilliant prep plan. Like that's kind of a stroke of genius. Uh, but it is a very fascinating scene. It's a very fascinating sequence that, if you really think about it for like 10 seconds, is super effed up. It's super effed up and heartbreaking and is yet another bullet point on the long list of reasons why this whole practice of American slavery was just so abhorrent. But, the rest of the episode is not as effed up. Like, seriously, like, everything here is still messed up. Everything here is still heartbreaking. Everything here is still devastating, if you think about it at all. But, like, this episode is a lot of the tiny pleasures that make this life not entirely unbearable. There's a lot of that here. And it sort of leaves you with this, like, cognitive dissonance of just how to feel, because, like, I want to be happy for these characters for experiencing these small little pleasures that make this life not entirely unbearable, but also, uh, they're still someone else's property, and therefore don't have lives of their own, and are victims of an abhorrent practice of American slavery. So their lives still suck, it's just for fleeting moments they don't suck as bad. It's weird, man. It's weird to talk about episodes like this. Uh, But a lot of this episode uh, is centered around Kutikinte's relationship uh, with Belle, the woman who helped him walk in the last episode. Uh, they're sort of striking up a bond. They're sort of getting closer and closer and closer and closer. Uh, Belle pulls some strings with Dr. Reynolds and gets him a position as a driver so he doesn't have to work in the fields anymore. And Kunta actually finds the driving fairly pleasant. And he's driving Reynolds around all these places, including on a secret date with the uh the wife 
of his brother who he had a child with who the brother thinks is his but it's really Dr. Reynolds's child basically the Reynolds are soap opera stars and I bring up this date specifically because something is said by the woman on this date that sends me into a blind rage. She literally says she had a dream that she wanted to be a slave. She says it in much more offensive terms, but, you know, I'm not a pile of garbage, so I won't say those words. She said she dreamed that she wanted to be a slave so that she could be brought in to Dr. Reynolds to be raped. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Mm. What a privileged bitch. Ah. Words cannot describe how angry I get every time I watch that scene. Words cannot describe how pissed off that scene makes me. Because by this point, you know at least in passing that female slaves, female slaves were repeatedly raped by their masters and brutalized, violated in the most sacred of ways, violated in the most personal of ways. And we've already seen multiple accounts of this and it's, all been heartbreaking it's all been devastating it's all made your soul hurt and then here's this woman who's like i want that so my my boyfriend can rape me like just trivializing it and glamorizing it for her own purposes completely completely unaware of what she's actually saying just Blissfully ignorant. And uh, credit to these writers, because goddamn, they very clearly went into that with the intention of pissing everyone off. And it's a perfectly written scene that flat out just perfectly, perfectly shows off the blissful ignorance of, of white slave owners, of the white population during this era of American slavery. It, it's so brilliantly written, uh, much on the level of that one scene where everyone's sitting around talking about how, oh, America's free from from the British. Uh, all these white people are c running around saying they're free. Man, I all I ever wanted was for those white folks to be free. Like, both those scenes are so perfectly written for that one reason of just... Blatant hypocrisy, blatant ignorance, like, just blatantly, just blatantly, like, spitting in the face of these human beings who are 
literally in chains, who are literally slaves, who are literally someone else's property, and they're just like, just, just spitting in their faces with word choices like this, like, ugh. I went on that longer than I thought I would. Point is, uh, Kunta and Bell, they get closer, they get closer, they get closer, they forge a bond, they forge a relationship, and eventually this leads to them getting married. And it's wonderful, it's wonderful to see this fleeting moment of happiness between Kunta and Bell uh, as they start their life together. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And they, they perfectly balance this with the lingering specter of, but they're still slaves. Uh, in the wedding ceremony itself, like, you see Kunta and Belle being very, very happy. Uh, you see all their fellow slaves being happy for them. You see all these happy African-Americans. You see all these happy people. And then in the background, you see Dr. Reynolds. You see their white owner like, Yes, I approve of this happiness. I approve of this ceremony. I approve of this fleeting moment of pleasure. <laughs> these are all mine. I own these human beings. Like, you see that in the background, and it's just a reminder, like, yeah, they're happy now, but they're still slaves. Uh, Kunta has that great... Uh, uh, Kunta and Belle had that great scene under the tree where uh, Belle's like, I'm yours and you're mine. And Kunta just says, and we both belong to Dr. Reynolds. And then they just sit there in quiet contemplation. Uh, but they're together. It's wonderful. But you get those reminders that they are someone else's property and they don't have lives of their own. Not really. Uh, and then Kunta hears a drum. A traditional African drum. And sort of runs to see the source of the sound. And the source of the sound is... Uh, a much older man who is also originally from Africa, who is also first generation. And they bond over their shared African roots. They bond over their shared African upbringing. And over their sorrow over the fact that no one knows who they are. No one knows where they came from. Everyone's forgotten. And the older man says, hey, look, I got this plan to escape. If you want to come with me, listen for the sound of the drum. That'll be the signal. And then you can come and escape with me. And Kunta brings this to Belle. And Belle's like, no, no, don't do this. Don't do this. You can't, you can't, you can't. Now, the entire episode, uh, Kunta and Belle have sort of clashed over uh, Africa versus America. They have clashed over uh, Kunta's African roots and uh, him wanting to be free and wanting uh, dreaming of home. And Belle being more realistic and saying, no, we are here. Uh, we 
this is what we are, this is what we're doing, let's just accept it and keep going. And we haven't known why. We haven't known why she is so defensive of this horrible, horrible lifestyle until now, where she tells a story of a husband she used to have, two daughters she used to have, her first husband had a plan to run away to the north, and then once... He was free. Come back and free Belle and her children. But they caught him. And they hanged him. And they took Belle's daughters away from her. And she learned that day... Any attempt to search for freedom only ends in tragedy. Any attempt... To seek freedom only ends in tragedy. That is the lesson she learned. And Kunta says, like, hey, why are you telling me this now? And Belle gestures that she is pregnant. So Kunta and Belle, as much as Kunta wants to be free, he does now have a family to think about. He does now have his own little unit. His own... He has people depending on him. He has a wife. He's going to have a child. And he needs to think of them first. Uh, We then cut to the birth of Kuta's child, who he names Kizzy, which in his native tongue means stay put. Remember that translation, it'll be important later. And it's this happy moment, like this fleeting moment of pleasure. They have a child, it's a beautiful baby girl. But then, man, roots giveth, roots taketh away. Because as Kunta and Fiddler are sitting under a tree, talking about the newly born baby, Fiddler starts playing his fiddle. And then you hear the fiddle go silent. And Kunta turns back to Fiddler. And sees him slumped on the ground. Dead. Fiddler lived long enough for Kunta to find at least some little sliver of happiness with his wife and his newborn baby. And then he died. And then he left this world. And Kunta has an amazing line here. Where he just tells Fiddler, now you know what it's like to be free. 
this, it's so powerful and so amazing and just this incredible, incredible send-off for an incredible character. That is such an amazing scene, and I cannot uh, praise the artistry and poetry of that moment enough. Uh, speaking of poetry, moving on from the devastating, devastating loss of Fiddler, uh, Kunta then goes to name Kizzy in the same way that he was named. He does the behold, the only thing greater than yourself stuff that we saw in the opening sequence with baby Kunta. So sort of com- coming full circle, Kunta Kinte. Kuta Kinte's story wrapping back around on itself. Uh, sort of him passing the torch officially to the next generation. And as he's doing this, he hears the drums. And for a brief moment, you think he's going to take Kizzy and run. For a brief moment, you think he's going to take Kizzy, he's going to run away, and he's going to leave all this behind. And leave Belle horrified, thinking, oh god, this tragedy, this unspeakable tragedy that happened to me is going to happen again. But Kunta doesn't. He comes back. And when Bell's like, hey, don't go, don't go, don't go. This is your home. Kunta has an amazing line where he says, this is not my home. But this is my child. Like, it's this great moment where Kuta's acknowledging, I'm not meant to be a slave. I don't want to be a slave. I still want to be free. But I can't think of just myself anymore. I can't think of just my own freedom anymore. I have to think of my family. I have to think of my wife. I have to think of my child. It's an amazing, amazing, nuanced evolution of Kunta's character, where he doesn't lose that spirit, he doesn't lose that desire to be free, but he just adds on his responsibility to his family. He is maturing while also maintaining the things that make him who he is. He's not like Fiddler, where he just acclimates and forgets the concept of freedom. He's not like Fanta, who did the same thing. Uh, He's not like Belle, who just experienced a tragedy and lost all hope. He's found a happy medium. And honestly, in his situation, in this unspeakable, unspeakable, horrible situation... That's really the best he can do, in all honesty, is find a happy medium between his desires to be free and his responsibility to those depending on him. And we get this great final moment where Kunta lays Kizzy down and says, your name means stay put, but it doesn't mean stay a slave. It will never mean that. 
And then he starts telling her about who she is. Starts telling baby Kizzy about who her family is. Where her family's from. Starting to pass along the knowledge of her identity. Kunta has made a conscious effort to not allow the generational amnesia that has befallen most descendants of captured Africans, Africans captured into slavery. He refuses to let that cultural amnesia happen in his family. He wants to keep the stories of Africa alive. He wants to keep the torch of freedom alive. So that even if he can't escape, at least his child maybe can. His child maybe has a chance. It's so poetic and brilliant and I, I love it. I love how they handle this transition from one generation to the next. And as we move on into the era of Kizzy. Oh boy. Uh, man, without spoiling anything. This is going to take a turn. And I cannot wait to discuss what transpires in Kizzy's story. As we transition uh, to Kizzy's segment of this show. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be really, really great. And I, I, I'm i very much looking forward to discussing it and also dreading it because uh, there's one moment in particular that's almost certainly going to make me almost cry the way uh, I did with episode two. So there's that. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archive so you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just to push up a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash ThomasClark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, Tomorrow we will be discussing Roots 1977 Episode 5. Talk to you then.